My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about the effect of living in Haiti during times of stress. Psychological issues, anxiety, depression, and worse, happen in Haiti just like they do around the world. Haitians can put on a brave face. They're excellent at that, particularly with outsiders. But the longer I've lived here, the more I see the gravity of this situation, especially in the eyes of my patients. As many of you know, right before the presidential assassination in July, Hannah and I went to the United States. We could feel the atmosphere in the country, and it was clear that things were not okay. It was in the air. Something was coming. Either a civil war or a revolution or a coup d'etat at the minimum. We decided to leave for two weeks in hopes that there would be more clarity soon. Unfortunately, as we know, the president was assassinated, and the resulting turmoil convinced us that we needed to wait to allow the situation to calm down. We have now been back in Haiti for three weeks. The political conditions are not any better. I was proud of the clinic. It continued to thrive, as we knew it would. Dr. Lolo, Dr. Donald, and other physicians continued to see patients, and the nutrition program had plowed on despite all the challenges. As I started to work in the clinic again, though, something had changed. Not with me, but with the patients. My first patient of my first day back had chest pain. She was a kindly 60-something. It did not appear to be cardiac, related to the heart. It wasn't made worse with walking or exertion, and she had no risk factors. It also wasn't muscular. I could press against her chest, and there was no pain. Pulmonary, esophageal, none really seemed to fit. And then I asked her if she was experiencing stress. She nearly broke down. One of her family members had been kidnapped. As gangs made inroads into their neighborhood over the last two months, she felt more and more like she could not even walk out her door. She was afraid for herself and her family. Later that day, a mother brought in her eight-year-old daughter. The daughter was suffering from spasms of abdominal pain. I asked her mother how often these occurred. She said that any time there was something stressful, her daughter had severe pains and would start to throw up. It happened when news came that the president had been killed. It happened when they heard the nightly cacophony of gunfire. It happened every time news came that someone in the neighborhood had been kidnapped. In medical lingo, we would call this functional abdominal pain. Common amongst school-aged children, it's the expression of stress and anxiety as intense belly pain and cramps. This is not life as it is supposed to be. Eight-year-old children are not supposed to have regular bouts of vomiting because their president has been assassinated and they hear gunfire every night. Children are not supposed to hear weekly about kidnappings of their neighbors and fear that their parents will be next. Haitians have long ago accepted that walking after dark is not possible, but they are increasingly afraid to move about even during the day. We often think that anxiety and depression is limited to the developed world. In the not-so-distant past, even the medical community felt that these issues were limited to rich countries, those that had reached the peak of the Maslow's Pyramid. The idea of this pyramid is, of course, that people need their basic needs, food, water, shelter, security, before they can focus on their psychological needs. We assume, and I can put myself in this boat, that the daily anxieties of life in a place like Haiti inure its citizens to stress. And in my experience, there's at least some truth to this. My friend, Dr. Donald, said that after he returned to Haiti from medical school in the Dominican Republic, he was terrified by the situation that he found in Haiti. But over time, he slowly accustomed himself to the chaos. However, given the massive amount of difficult and stressful situations that poor people face across the globe, despite any increased fortitude that they might have, 
there is a large burden of psychological issues in developing countries. It seems that despite the pull of other needs, there comes a point when the stress becomes overwhelming. Let's talk about statistics. A study performed in central Haiti demonstrated that 11% of teenagers had suffered from PTSD in the last year, compared with 4.5% of adult Americans. And you might think, well, of course, it's the earthquake, obviously. But this study actually showed that there was no difference between those who had lived through the earthquake and those who had not. The problem is that life, life alone, here has more stressful events. 75% of those studied had missed meals over the last three months. 42% had been physically mistreated, and 58% had had at least one event in their life where they felt they were in danger of dying. Remember, again, these were teenagers. And I found that fascinating. When we think of Haiti, we think about the earthquakes or hurricanes or natural disasters as the primary causes of PTSD or depression. But in reality, it seems that it is more the everyday little dangers, the gang that lives in the neighborhood, being beaten up by a family member, not having money for food. The world media focuses on the large events, but it is the small, continuous stressors that do the most damage. Depression and anxiety show up differently in countries like Haiti than in the United States. It has been well described that psychological distress is inclined to present as physical complaints when you work in developing poor countries. I'm talking about abdominal pain, headache, chest pain, shortness of breath. An American might come straight out and say that they have anxiety to a doctor. And this is a symptom of years of normalization of these issues, and that's a good thing. But a Haitian may not have the vocabulary or feel the social freedom to say it so directly. However, once you start sitting and talking with them about stressors, it's easy to get there. Anecdotally, I can attest that I have seen anxiety rising in our clinic for the last two years, and it is because the volume of intense traumatic events is high, even for a country that has always had significant underlying hardship. Again, talking from my own experience, if you take the 10 to 15 Haitians that are closest to Hannah and I, we've had three who were robbed at gunpoint and three others who were caught in crossfire of automatic gunfire just in the last two years. Another had his wife kidnapped shortly before we met him. Compare this to your own life. Write down your 15 closest friends. How many have undergone similar violent events in the last two years? To add to these events, there is a sense of helplessness. Every day, at least, I hear one of my friends talk about the fear of going out in the street or bringing their child to school, but it's always followed by the common refrain, Pagenshua, there's no choice. In the last few years, increasingly, Haitians have felt like they have no power to change their lives, to affect change in their government or their economic situation. And that helplessness, or lack of agency as we would say, worsens the problem. Now, given all these issues, what is the response? Haiti, as a country, has 23 psychiatrists. Let's put that into perspective, shall we? My home state of Georgia is about the same population of Haiti, around 11 million people. Georgia has somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,100 psychiatrists, and the vast majority of Haiti's psychiatrists work in a small, wealthy area of Port-au-Prince. For the average Haitian, the one suffering from the majority of stressful events, there's no access. And so what have we been doing at the clinic? First, we have slowly started to place patients on antidepressants. I say we have started slowly because this is something where you want to have a relationship with the patient. It's not like most clinics in the developing world, where you simply give someone amoxicillin for an infection and never see them again. You need to see these people on a regular basis. And just as importantly, we've begun to attempt to raise funds for the monthly salary of a counselor, a person who can sit with patients, talk about their challenges, and pray with them if it's appropriate, 
or simply to lend a supportive ear. These things are so basic. We're talking about SSRIs, the building block of depression and anxiety care, and a counselor. What can these things do in the face of terrible challenges? I believe they can do a lot. In my own experience, the very recognition of stress and the ability to talk about it can be transformative in its own right. We need to begin to face the fact that mental health is a major issue, even in developing countries. When we study health worldwide, nothing, heart issues, arthritis, car accidents, leads to more disability than mental illness. And that goes for rich and poor countries. And then one must think, how can a country that so desperately needs young leaders develop the next generation if they are traumatized or unable to focus in school? In a perfect world, the underlying causes of depression and anxiety in Haiti would be cured. We will continue to work on those issues that make Haiti particularly difficult. In the meantime, though, we need to help people right now. And we know that even if the violence, poverty, spousal and child abuse, and lack of upward mobility were immediately cured, we would still have mental illness here. It is a risk for all people. And in that sense, we can show solidarity with our fellow humans in Haiti, our brothers and sisters. We all know a mother, a father, a friend who has struggled with depression or anxiety. Certainly, some of the challenges a Haitian faces are unimaginable, but the worst thing we can do is consider them otherworldly. We must be able to identify with them, at least in part. This is the heart of empathy. And empathy is one step towards solidarity and accompaniment. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.